0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner,
1: adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
2: Steven, you got your crown black over there, buddy? Yes, sir. We're going to get a little wet on this one. We are going to get wet on this one. There's going to be dead shit everywhere. (laughs) Sounds like a good time. It is a good time. I'm very excited to get this guest on. Somebody I look up to in the duck hunting industry. This guest that we have is been around for a very long time, and he drops a ton of knowledge on this episode. Um, he goes from A to Z in sea duck hunting, and I'm really excited, man. I mean, what what did you learn in this episode, Steve?
1: I learned how much I still have to learn. <laughs> let's let's just face it. Uh, the first little bit of it. Man, it was like a a fire hose of knowledge, stuff that, you know, I've never considered from my end when I go out, you know, because I'm really new into the sea duck end of things. So, it was just really cool to hear it from him, you know, a a 20-year veteran who just does it. And, all in all, all I know is I want to go do more of it.
2: Yeah, he definitely gives you that drive to want to go out there and sea duck hunt, man. And it's and it's and it's incredible what he has he has made a business out of and doing every single day of his life and just full fledged outdoor sea duck hunting and Brant hunting. Um, you know, he does have the world's largest duck boat, um, so it's definitely something wicked badass. And and I I can't wait for y'all to hear about it. Well, what was nice is. I mean, we went in deep,
1: but we were still just treading the top of the water as far as the subject goes. We could have talked for hours.
2: Oh, it definitely could have went on. There's no doubt about it. I think there's a lot in this episode that is definitely full throttle information, but I think that we definitely just, like you said, man, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. I think there's a lot that 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 he does that we didn't go over um, and definitely going to have to need a part two for this one. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely be scheduling a follow-up. It almost makes me want to go to Maryland and go duck hunting with them.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I know someone who lives pretty close.
2: Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, just saying.
1: Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's- then again, we may have to wait that long before we can get together to hunt anyway, so.
2: Yeah, I know. This This whole thing we were talking about, it kind of put us into the, the damper, so it's nice to be able to get on and, and converse with people um like-minded people and kind of keep our minds off of you know the negativity that's going on in this world today
1: definitely it's it's a big bonus um I consider us blessed to be able to do this and with a lot of these folks who don't have a lot of time to go do things now you know they're kind of set back and sheltered with the situation it opens up a lot of opportunity to talk so it's got its perks
2: Absolutely, and we, we're looking very, very closely forward to uh, turkey hunting season here coming very, very shortly, um, and, you know, we got to look towards the future and, and and think about duck hunting and all these other things, so what better way than to uh, talk sea duck hunting?
1: Definitely. Well, like in, uh, I guess you'd look at it, in the podcast world, uh, we are in week. What do you say? Week. We'll call it week one of the actual Corona with Lyme issues, and by the time this comes out, I'm hoping that it's a dead matter and is past, and we're back to reality. So,
2: yeah. And if not, we got a lot of podcasts to listen to because everyone's quarantined. Exactly.
1: So <laughs> while we're all sitting here talking and bullshitting, I think uh, we need to go through and. Thank a few people. What do you think?
2: Yeah, for sure. Definitely need to thank people because I. this is why we have you, Steve, because I would have totally forgot, <laughs> as come always.
1: In, come in handy on occasion. Yep. Usually as a bad example. So who do you
2: want to thank first?
1: Uh, number one, off the top, we got to go a mocky mock, Nor'Easter uh. Game Calls. Get them in close.
2: Check your man out, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Get your custom duck calls. Uh-huh. Get uh, it? I calls. like it. <laughs> turkey pot like it. calls, uh, turkey box calls, grunt calls, coyote calls, squealer calls. You name it, he makes it. Not even that, but check out Mab Knives, his custom knife series, um, MabKnives.com. Check them out and get them in close.
1: You bet. Who are you
2: thinking next? Oh, man. I'm always thinking about my man, Big Hoss, you know, with them adult arrows. That's right. Some of that I, ethics archery. That's right ethicsarchery.com com. use promo code outdoor drive 10 to get yourself and save yourself some
1: that's right go ahead and start getting things put together now because there's a lot of testing to be done before you fling them at some deer
2: oh well, and you gotta hide gotta hide yeah you gotta hide
1: like you can't see me in a tree that's right they make something that's specifically built for tree stand particularly saddle hunters that helps you do that
2: uh, yeah it's called broadside camo
1: oh you are right that ascender series all oh, scott in the Schitter, closer series yeah he's he's come up with some pretty unique things
2: check them out broadsidecamo.com and you can hide in the woods
1: get your full year set of camo at the price uh, every day hunter can afford.
2: It's a blue collar price.
1: Awesome. And then then you can get jillified. Wait, are you are you referring to my wicked and twisted strings?
2: Wicked and twisted bow strings. That's right. Make sure you get yourself some get jillified custom bow strings, CBY bow strings, top of the line, any color and get your bow jillified. Is there anybody else?
1: If so, I'm spacing them. There's a lot of people I would like to be saying, but. (laughs) Walmart? No. (laughs) (laughs) Walmart, Rural King, uh, Tractor Supply, Southern State.
2: (laughs) Those are our partners, and we thank them for working with us. I'm not really sure why they do so, but they do, and they believe in us, and they believe in this podcast, just like you who are listening and supporting us every day. Absolutely. Well, I think it's enough of me talking. I agree. That's enough of you
1: talking. Let's let someone (laughs) else talk.
2: (laughs) All right. Let's do that.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's bring him in.
0: (laughs) Nice shot.
2: Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big buck. Stack, stack, stack. We're back on the line. Um, but before we turn this key and get this drive underway, I got to ask one question to our guest. Do you have your Crown Royal black with you?
3: Wait a second. Let's see. Uh,
2: <laughs> Salute.
1: <laughs> All right.
3: We're there. Uh, All um, right. Come on, man. It's only, it's only 10 15 in the morning. I just <laughs> died too. <laughs> All right.
2: <laughs> I just had to ask, you know, because it's what you're known for. So I figured uh for, for we'd sure. start it off right. So let's for turn sure. the key and uh why don't you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where where you're from and, and what you
0: do.
3: I'm Jeff Coates, uh, I guide full time um sea duck hunting here in Maryland, uh, Maryland uh lower eastern shore. Um I, you know, first off, I got to tell you guys, I, I go off on these tangents and ramble. So you, you just need to reel me back in whenever, whenever, and however you need to. But, but, uh, oh, yeah. thankfully and luckily, I've, uh, this was just finished up my 20th season guiding full time for Sea Ducks. Um, I'm licensed, uh, U.S. Coast Guard captain, Maryland master guide. And, um, I just, I just love being outside. I've been very fortunate over the years guiding Sea Ducks. Um, you know, kind of the, the ducks, dogs, and the decoys, you know, slogan kind of kind of fits my lifestyle or has fit my lifestyle um and i like to fish during the summer my wife likes to fish and um we're just we're very fortunate and and, um I, i can say i'm just very fortunate
2: so you have the world's largest duck duck boat at this point right now right Yes,
3: actually, uh, Steve Hoover Duckwater Boats. Um, that, that's he says it a little ginger. He, he says it's the world's largest duck boat. I, I like to say it's the world's largest duck boat. <laughs> but, um, it's a it's a thirty-two footer. It's a thirty-two footer. It is the hull number two. Um, so he's got there's one in Maine, and then uh, number two's in Maryland. And I, he's he's told me that a couple guys have asked about him making a, a third one. So we'll see if he does. Um, but real quick, with duck in the duck boat world with my sea duck hunting, I started out in a 17-foot TDB, and then I was in a 21-foot, a 25-foot, and now the 32-foot. So.
2: Wow. I mean, and what do you think the bonuses are of having a 32-foot over a 25 or a 21?
3: What is the advantage? Uh, well, obviously, it's from what the – let's do it this way. From the 17-foot, I would take three people, and I was the fourth one in the boat and you sat on six-gallon buckets with little spin seats on the top, which weren't that comfortable. Went to the 21-foot boat. Um, I had four people still sitting on the uh, six-gallon bucket seat-type deal. And then with the 25, I, I, I didn't really want to take more people. I just wanted to take the four that I was taking in the 21 and have them be much more comfortable in the 25. And I actually have nice big chairs, the ones that I use today that I was using in the 25 and uh, they're, they're like 24 inches wide. And there's so, a, there's a very big, comfortable seat. And quite often halfway through the morning, somebody will say, man, I don't think I've ever duck hunted from a chair like this before you <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, uh, guys falling asleep <laughs> in them and that kind of stuff. So in the, in the 32, I still, I didn't want to run anybody off. So I, st- I still do the, the four man hunt, but I can take the fifth or the sixth person with, you know, with that same large seat. Um, it, I also able to, have a um, I have a two-man course sound layout boat so I can put that boat the layout boat in the 32 with four or five or six people that everybody's comfortable and we can still get the layout boat out there and and, and uh I, you know it's just it's just trying to raise this, I think it's just what I do as a service business and I'm just trying to raise the level of my service
2: and just and, just put more com- make you more comfortable especially being yeah. out there duck hunting. you know yeah
3: and it's and like the other part of good
2: Oh no! I said it's like tuna fishing on a center console compared to like a sport fishing boat.
3: Exactly. And the other thing too is, I mean, there's more and more guys doing it, so I always say like I just need to stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was uh, that's that's kind of been my I had the in the Banks boat. I was I had their first 21 and their first 25, and you know, nobody had the 21 for a while. Nobody had a 25 for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, eight years later, there's a lot of 25s running around. So. Um, again just trying to stay ahead of the curve a little bit i don't know how how long i'll be doing this for but you know a new boat a new motor and you know it gets me to the end of it all i guess
2: yeah absolutely so are you running are you running more long lines or rafts uh what kind of like setup do you actually run when you're out there
3: yeah i've always i've always liked long lines um pretty much um you know everything is i, I like zipper top bags and uh, in, in the beginning i didn't i just had actually had some homemade you know, kind of a uh, local locally made like these big sacks that um with, with the plastic decoys, I'd run 15, 18 uh, decoys on a long line. They'd all, all be in these bags ready to go. And then uh, more with, you know, turning, you know, using my own, the birds that I carve, uh, you go into the 12 slotted bags or for the, what I call the Scoterzilla, go on to the, um the six slotted, uh, they're actually goose floater bags. Um, but yeah, I always have everything, everything ready to go on long line, So so nobody really needs to do anything. I don't need a hand and just unzip the bags and pull the lines out. Everything comes out. Generally, everything comes out nice and neat. And, and uh, even if there is a tangle, everything's got clipped, you know, long line clips on it. So it's easy to easy and quick to tangle a little bit.
2: That works. Yeah. And so what are the species that you most you uh, hunt for down there? Like a lot of scoters. You don't have a lot of eiders down there, right? Uh, you know the,
3: we've been seeing more and more each year. Um, so for those that don't know in in the Sea duck world scoters, there's three types of scoter. The surf scoter is my logo. Uh, the common scoter, I refer to them as a black scoter, and then the white wing scoter. so those are the three type of scoter and then old squall or long tail ducks, you know Harlequin or close on the east Coast, and then uh, the, the common eider and uh, occasionally a king eider too. Um, but yeah, we've been seeing actually been seeing more eider than we have uh, white wings recently.
2: Wow, that's crazy. I, I never would have thought that because – so I'm from Connecticut and I hunt a lot in Rhode Island, uh, sea duck hunting, and we see – I mean, obviously, we have a ton of eider. Um, oh, for sure. not Not – I mean, a lot of surf scoters, but you're right. Not a lot of white wings. Um, we get a lot of black scoters also, but mm-hmm. I didn't think that there was a lot of eiders down that way.
3: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I wouldn't say a lot. And if somebody – if you called me to book a hunt, I would tell you that that would be the bonus birds. It's not – we're not going to see, you know uh, – you're going to see one, two, three a day kind of thing. It's not, it's not, I've, I I, can tell you, uh, flying, I've never seen more than four together. So it's usually singles and pairs mm-hmm. and, uh, rafted up. I have seen, you know, 10 or 12 sitting together, but generally flying, you know, it's singles or pairs. And, How- but again, it's just, it's the bonus bird. It's not, it's not something, you're not coming to Maryland to shoot a nighter. That's for
2: sure. No, no, you'd be, you'd be better off going to Maine or Massachusetts or something like that. If you want to join then. Do you have a lot of long tails down there? Old Squaw? <laughs>
3: You know, not, not as many as what we used to, no. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I, I talk about this often with guys that, I, you know, more and more on the Great Lakes. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, were those birds there and guys didn't have the boats or weren't targeting them? or you know, social media, you didn't see that that's what they were doing? Or, you know, or the, or is the trend is that, you know, they're, they're not flying in the numbers south of the way that they did. Um, so I, I'm unsure. I don't. I don't think that the old squall are here like they were. Right. It, it, definitely 20 years ago. They're not. They're not here today like they were then. That's for sure.
2: So you're not just going out. Generally, just targeting uh, old squall then.
3: Yeah, if I was going to do old squall, I would actually be more not out on the ocean proper. I'd be back more like in the shallow, shallow bays, uh, Chesapeake Bay, and up in some of the rivers or the coastal bays right here too. But not oh. the ocean is basically scoter and old squall. I'm sorry. So, so scoter and hider, not all.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I, I guess let's wind it back just a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about you, Jeff. So, what got you into this? Where did you start? Like, did, did you come up in a family of hunting, or were you, you know, something that you went on your own? or.
3: Yeah. So, uh, the very first thing that I ever bought a hunting license for in Maryland was to go turkey hunting. And um, from that, I had at work, I was in my early 20s uh we worked there was a couple guys that duck hunted quite a bit and i'd never been and i wanted to go so we kind of you know took took one of them turkey hunting and and then vice versa they they took me duck hunting showed showed me some of the public lands here in maryland and it just kind of kind of spiraled out of control from there um way way back in the day probably 90 94 95 um google may have been there but ultra ultra Alta Vista, Ultra Vista was a search engine. Yeah. And and using that, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know about the internet. You know, I learned really quick about it, but I, I truly didn't know, you know, what, what the internet was then. Borrowed a computer to get on and, and, um, I just started typing in, you know, duck hunting in Maryland and all that kind of stuff just to see what was out there. And there was an older gentleman named Donald Hughes, Rhodes, Rhodesdale, Maryland in, uh, in Dorchester County. Um, and he had this like a, I guess he was like one of like the first blogger. Bloggers, bloggers, whatever you want to do, he was he was uh, basically uh, physically, um, he had a heart condition, not um, disabled. Uh, anyway, Donald was, he, he, um, I guess disabled would be the, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, but anyway, long story short, he hunted pretty much every, from September 1st to March 10th. Snow geese back then closed March 10th, and he, he waterfowl hunted, you know, the September goose season here, the September teal season. And, and back then the sea duck season was 107 days so it opened early october went to the end of january and um anyway long story short because he was uh because he wasn't able to get around that well there was a refuge that i was going in in just over the state line of delaware bombay hook and, and shooting snow geese and you can laugh at this the uh the, the limit on snow geese when when I was going in there was a it was a four bird limit <laughs> so wow. it was uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's been a little while ago <laughs>
2: wow
3: but But, uh, Donald told me if I would take him there, snow goose hunting, and again, we exchanged emails and finally, you know, finally called each other. And, um, uh, you know, he said, if you take me snow goose hunting, he's like, every place that I had to hunt, you're more than welcome. I'll show you. And, you know, I, he, he tried to generally go each day long. If it was raining, he didn't like rain. So he wouldn't go in the rain. But other than that, he's like, you can go with me or you can go with, you can go wherever the places that he had. He says, you're more than welcome to. So, um. Speaking of that, in the internet way back in the day, you know, if you used your real name in 1995, that somebody was going to come to your house and kill you, right? So that kinda, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how the whole pit boss thing. It's it's been the license plate of my truck forever. Uh, it's kind of a goose hunting reference on the upper upper yeah. Eastern Shore of Maryland in the fields that you know hunt out of these uh, the agricultural fields have pits in them, and um, you know it just it was a seven seven letters, and I think it's been the license plate of my truck since about 90
2: 91 maybe. Um, I was going to ask where that came from and yeah, if it's
3: it's, it just, it just has not, it has, when I went to the a motor vehicle to get that, they thought it was gambling. So it, like, you know, we were close to Atlantic city, you know, it was I was I like a pit boss for if, again, if, if you just type in pit boss, generally oh, yeah. it's more of a gambling, gambling reference than, um than, than waterfowl hunting. But, but again, like the truth was like, you wouldn't use but your real name. No. That's nobody used their real names so you know,
2: everybody had screens <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Yeah. So, what made you get into to to using dogs? Because you're also into the dog world when it comes to waterfowl. And also, you have Rye now. Um, yep. And hunting with him and everything like that. And what made you get into that?
3: Yeah, I've been fortunate there too to have some really nice animals over the years. Um, way back in the day, I had a chocolate lab that was just basically yeah, she was a really nice dog and a nice pet, but she didn't really retrieve. And how did I get in? I actually had, I actually had a, a friend we we became very good friends um he reached out to me and said he had i i, and I didn't understand that truly then the difference really between you know uh, british labs american labs and field dogs and all that type stuff and um but anyway russ gahill reached out to me and said he's a man he says I, you do all this hunting he says i got a really nice breeding um he was uh he would he would live out towards like frederick so west of washington dc and maryland and um and he's like, I, I just, I want to give you the dog. He says, but you know, if you take me see duck honey, but you you're, you can come up, have a, have a, you know, pick up, pick out a pup that you want. And, um, that kind of got me, you kind of got me started. I, I didn't really know that I wanted one. And then I talked to another friend who was uh, at the time was a Pennsylvania state trooper that Roy, the the breeder had sent his female coots, my dog named coot that I got from him. Coot's mother, um, was, was trained in Pennsylvania. And, um, and, my friend, Jim, this Pennsylvania state trooper was the, uh, he was into dogs. So I, I reached out to him to ask him some questions. And, and he knew of, he knew of, um, of, um, mother's name was spook. So he knew a spook and, you know, just kind of, it just fit really well. And he's like, man, it's, it's an energy dog and on and on and on. And, um, man, I, 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 I was hunting her like six, seven years, six or seven months old. Um, I so like, by the end of October, you know, she had, like, 80 retrieves. I had some fellas from New Jersey, and I was, like, really embarrassed because, you know, she was, she's just doing her own thing and picking up, picking up birds and, and that kind of thing, and I was like, ah, you guys, please, I'm sorry, you know, you know, she's only eight months old, and and uh, she's only retrieved 80 birds, and they're, they're like, Jeff, stop, our dog's eight years old and hasn't, hasn't even retrieved 50 birds, you know, like, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about, this is doing really well, so, um, you know, I, I ran her on a little piece of rope, sea duck hunting. She always had to come back to the boat. So that was, that was a good thing. She, you know, go out and get the bird. She loved to retrieve. And uh, that following spring I got in with some guys. I didn't force fetch her until she was like 13 months old and um, just got in and like uh, she was just, just over 24 months old. I had her, I, I ran her and had her titled master hunter. And um, so she was, you know, the, the saying goes quite often is like your first is your best. And like, I didn't hardly know a thing. And, you know, she was, she was, she was a dog. So, um, get, I get a little emotional talking about her. Damn. I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but
2: that was coot. It's tough. That man. Was coot.
3: Yeah. It was, I've had some really good times with her. Did a lot of, a lot of things with her. And, um, and she retrieved a lot of birds in her lifetime. Um, and pretty much everything was open water, open water, sea duck hunting. So had, uh, had coot um got another dog she had a little little uh, she didn't use her third leg or, or sorry she was three-legged she didn't use her fourth leg and we had a really he, he trained and would go down to south carolina in the winter uh, basically gave her to me for my mom as a pet and we had a 32 inch snow snowstorm she'd run around great on three legs we had a 32 inch snowstorm and she'd be you know following coot as the snow the snow actually made her use that fourth leg and then when the snow melted she was four-legged again and richard he came back from South Carolina and was like, like it was a miracle. You know, that was, you know, she was a four legged again. So anyway, That's back, cool. Back, yeah, it was really, it was really, you know, we, we sit and talk about like if that snow didn't happen, would she have, you know, would she have used her, you know, she, she literally ran around like she only had three legs. She didn't put any weight on the, on the one rear leg. When she squatted to pee, she didn't put any weight on that leg. Now she got injured like in a growth plate with one of the puppies when she, you know, like three or four months old kind of thing of her litter mates. Gotcha. And, um, so that was, that was that, but so Coot Diamond, a uh, little dog named Poacher. She was a very unique little dog. Uh, got her from Hank McNeil in New Jersey. And then I bred Coot twice. Um, I kept, uh, I kept a, a male the first time, uh, Booger. And he was a very nice black, black male. And then the last breeding, I kept a, I kept a dog Bristol. So that was, that was the five, five blacks that I've had. And now we have Rye. So she's, Rye's a nice, nice little girl, kind of a mix of all, all those that I've had in the past. And um the real neat thing is again guys I'm rambling so you can all, no you're good. No, you're you're good. good. We love it. <laughs> it's real you're information. Good. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would I had a topper on my truck, although Coot always rode up front with me. I had a topper, so I could I would take off, you know, pretty much go you know, I was unmarried at the time and um just did my own thing, trained a lot. You know the dogs were always with me. And when I went to the vet, I would bring kind of try to save a couple dollars on this. Um the one one uh, one doctor at the hospital there, he said, like, Yeah, just bring them all in. And she's like, I'll just charge you one, like one office fee, and we'll just do all five at the same time. So, excuse me. My wife now tells me that when I would show up, everybody knew Mr. Coates was coming because you know, get ready, because there's going to be five. You know, I literally would walk in with five crazy black labs. So, um, <laughs> I, knew Karen. I knew Karen probably for years now, but um, you know, I. It was just she knew me way back in the day with the dogs and um and she you know right at the tail end um you know was i hadn't done any really wasn't doing any training um wasn't everybody's getting on the older side of things Uh, as a matter of fact she she you know helped me put down the the last three uh um that we had actually she's helped me put all five down what am i saying yeah she's helped me put all five down and um so the whole and after we put Booger down, he was the last. We put him down in June, two June's ago. And um, she was like, Are we going to get another one? And I was like, I think I'm done, man. I, I was like, It was just way, it was very hard with Booger for being the last one.
1: Oh, absolutely. You
3: know, it was like, you know, Coots lineage, 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 how you ever say that? It was Coots bloodline. And like, he was the last, you know? And and, um, and we, you know, we do like to fish. And when we go offshore, like, we're always like, We're in a center console. So we don't really take the dogs with the sun. And we're always, you know, we get out you take a two hour ride out to get out there. And we, you know, our time's limited because, oh, we got to get home with the dogs and that kind of stuff. So I was like, nah, let's just let's just forget about it. We're good to go. And um, um, Karen did try to find OFA, uh, like if there was any other bloodline of coots out there, because I I was kind of interested in that. But all the dogs are older, so she couldn't really find anything. So I was like, nah, let's just we'll just we'll just call it done. You know, new chapter, something different. And, um, I got invited down to Texas, El Campo, Texas, the following September, uh, to go to teal, teal hunting and super nice, super nice. Um, the guys from, um, uh, quack rack lifetime decoys, uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hunting lodge. And there's dogs all running around and we, we, you know, we shot teal three mornings in a row and the dogs were retrieving. And, um, when I got back to the airport Sunday night, or I'm sorry, probably Sunday, Sunday, late Sunday morning, um. You know, I got on the phone to call Karen. I was like, I, I want a dog. <laughs> I want to get a dog. <laughs> and uh, so it just started and I reached out to the guys I, tri- uh, you know, field trial with and train with and asked them what they knew. And, you know, like a couple phone calls later, you know, found, found a breeding that was uh, in, um, uh, should have been, should be, and she is, uh, should be a, high, a nice breeding high powered energy breeding in Maine and uh, just kind of all worked together. Um, and, and ironically enough, Um, we can talk about it if you want, or we don't have to, but Drake's migration nation. We were headed to to PEI to film um, Prince Edward Island, Canada to film um, in October. So part of the trip and part of the story and part of the, part of the, uh, the the story on, on, on migration nation is we stop and pick up Rye. So she's, she's seven weeks old and she was right, right. You know, she was kind of thrown right into it right from the get go. So um, it was kind of, was kind of a neat little twist. Um, but I, I, don't know that I would necessarily, I probably would have went to Maine. If I couldn't find somebody, you know, another breeding, I would have drove to Maine to, to get her, but it made it just really nice and convenient. We were, we were headed that way anyway.
2: And, uh, I think it worked out pretty well. That's awesome. So, so when you're, when you're picking out your sea duck dog, um, what, what do you, what are you looking for in a sea duck dog or a dog that you're going to open water hunt over, you know, hunting like in the marsh?
3: Well, I still think in a marsh, you still need kind of a, you you do need the high power energy, but like I, I wanted a breeding that was people call them crazy. People, you know, she bounces off the wall. She, she pogos all the time, you know, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. But like, that's, that's what you, I I think big retreats, big water, you know, big waves. That's a dog that doesn't care and wants to, you know, wants to do that. There, you can't put the energy in them. You can, you, know, you can't put drive into them. You can always kind of harness it and maybe take a little bit out of them. But you, you definitely, if a dog doesn't have it, you can't put it in them. And, right. um, so, and, and again, just because you pick, um, just because you pick the breeding, it doesn't mean that that dog is going to turn after just like, just like people. I mean, you know, brothers and sisters are much, you know, are often very different. Right. But, but, you know, just the um, picking out the better, the best breeding that you can find, I think gives you the best chance for success. And um, I'm at still in, in a marsh, and you know there's there's a lot of work that goes on there too, running through mud and you know cattails and whatever else there. But um, but definitely in the ocean, I, I think, or any, any big open water gunning, and and a dog that you you know, in my case, you know, doing it six or seven days a week, you know, you need a dog that that has that energy that can you know that can go every day and do it. You know, so
2: absolutely, yeah, because if you don't, then the then it's going to be just it's not going to be able to make it on the fifth or sixth day.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So do you only hunt open water like sea ducks or do you do other types of hunting also?
3: um, You know, for guiding, the only other thing that I would do, it's it's still in open water, but it's a much different experience would be a little saltwater goose, Brant. I'm I'm sure you're probably, you've seen Brant, Connecticut, I would imagine.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We shoot them pretty good here.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's one thing over the years, especially back in the the limits when they were a three bird limit. And, you know, 60, you know, 45 or 60 days with three birds. You know, I, I did a lot of brand hunting back in the day. And, um, and again, just like sometimes, you know, you shoot a brand and they, they fly, fly, and they fall out, you know, fall out dead. It's 300 yards away. Well, and especially in some of the shallower water that you can't really, it's hard sand, but you can't run the boat. It's nice to have a dog that can run, you know, either marks it and, and can get it, or you can run a nice blind retrieve to, you know, to, to go pick that up. So, um, but as far as back to what do I hunt? Yeah, I just, I really do open water stuff. Um, I don't do as many divers as what I used to do. So we stay with the sea duck brand. Um, I mentioned in here somewhere on the way that you know, way back in the day with Donald Hughes, the sea duck season was 107 days. This will be, this coming season will be the fifth year of the new reduced, uh, only 60 day sea duck season. And the, and the bag limits have been reduced some too. So, um, you know, I really do try to take advantage of all 60 days. I on the 107 days, I didn't, I didn't go all hundred seven. The the you know beginning of October, um, you know, probably not to the fifteenth or the eighteenth, you'd see enough to go here. So you you know, you're probably a good two weeks on the front end, but definitely you know, you could have you did it all the way to the end of January.
2: Now, do you think that they're just that the season has been reduced because they're doing more studies on the on the sea ducks, or?
3: Well, it's just become the, the way it was told to me is it was an unutilized resource that they wanted to offer hunters to take advantage of. And that's why, you know, even in Atlantic Flyway you could have a 30 day. I I remember 30 day duck seasons when it was a three bird limit. So you could have the options for ducks in Atlantic Flyway is it's a 30 day season, a 45 day season or 60 day season, um, you know, up to to six ducks. And again, like there was many, many seasons in there in late nineties, it was, you know, 30, 30 days with only three, a three duck limit. Um, And again, in the, in those 30 days, the sea duck season was 107 days. So the underutilized resource they wanted to offer to, to you know, give a chance to, uh, for hunters to take advantage of. And today they'll tell you that the, the, the underutilized resource is being overutilized. So that was kind of the, the major, you know, the major um, one of the major reasons to, to scale it back. And you know, they don't know a whole lot about sea ducks. There's a sea duck, sea duckjointventure.org has a lot of information about sea ducks. And um, you know, they, just don't, they just don't, they think that they're very slow to reproduce. And, um, you know, there are, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite because I'm right out there doing it, but I've been doing it. And there's a lot more people, a lot more people shooting sea ducks, um, specifically in Maryland, sea duck season opens when duck season is not. So now there's an official opening day. And, and yes, before in the 107 days, there was an official opening day too, but it was October 1st or the 5th somewhere in there, wherever that Saturday fell. Now the first Saturday in November, when regular ducks is not open is the official sea duck season opener in Maryland. And that Saturday there's a, there's, there's a lot of people out there shooting them. Um, talk with my friends at the state that I I, w- I, w- I thought it would be a wash possibly, you know, like the 107 days, how many birds were killed now on 60 days, how many birds were killed. And they told me that the first that the, only had the first three years numbers, there was actually more sea ducks harvested on the 60 day season than it was back on 107 days. So it kind of, they made more of an interest in it. And, you know, quite honestly, like this year, when, when our season or winter here is mild, you know, guys want to shoot birds and you know, sea ducks are sea ducks are generally usually always there. It doesn't really matter what the weather is.
2: Yeah, we're seeing that here now, too, also because they're they're like reducing down our puddle duck limits and our goose limits and stuff like that, that a lot of the local kids or not kids, but young adults are going yep. out and getting more into sea duck hunting. And that's what I'm doing also. Um, that's what got me more into it is because going puddle jump hunting, um, you can only go and kill two mallards, which is great. But you spend all day setting up this, that, and the other thing when I can drive an hour, be in a rig and killing sea ducks.
3: Exactly. And just like this year in Maryland. Uh, the AP goose, it was, it was a 30 day, one bird goose limit. And like you mentioned, you know, two bird, you know, two mallards. And yeah, when it's, when it's warm, you know, it's, you know, guys want, guys want to duck hunt. There's only so many days to go and it's just, you know, more and more, you know, more and more people are sea duck hunting. There's, I told you, you know, about staying ahead of the curve, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, there, there weren't all, all the layout boats that there are today. And there, there weren't all the specialized duck boats, you know, um, traditionally on the Chesapeake Bay, man, you'd be in a 40-foot white workboat, you know, something, a crab boat or oyster boat. And that's, that's what you'd be shooting them off of. There weren't, you know, the TDB was really the first duck boat, right? And they came out, they had a 14-foot and a 17-foot, and, and they did make a 21 for, a, they did make a few 21s. But, I mean, that, that, was, that was the largest specialized duck boat, you know, was, the 17 was the, to me, was the most common, um, you know, specialized duck boat that was out there at the time. So, um, sad thing headed our way is I, I think that there's Going to be more of a reduction. Um, Canada next year, um, they're going to reduce their eider limit from four birds to two. And they had a also had a special, and I tried to get up there this year and it just did not work out. But they had a February eider season. I've, I've shot them in New Brunswick uh two different times. I wanted to go back up one more because it they're closing that season, so it's a thing kind of a trickle down effect where I think. You know, in not too much longer, I think you're going to see probably the EIDER limit in the United States is probably going to be dropped from four to, well, four to two, you know, four to three, four to two, something like that. Because Canada, the maritime Canada is, is going to only uh, the two two birds next year on, on EIDER.
2: Yeah, I, I figured that that was in, in the works because, you know, you see everybody else starting to go down on them. Why wouldn't United States go down on them, especially going from up there? Yep. Um and that's with the Brant, too. I mean, they're doing a lot more studies on the Brant. You're seeing a lot of these more – the geotrackers and stuff like that. Yes. They're definitely doing more more with those. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot more of them than there was before, I think. But I, who knows what they'll end up doing with the limits on those.
3: Yeah, this um, the, this year we're they're going to go – it's still a two-bird limit, but they opened it up to 50 – went from 30, 30 – 30-day season this past season, and it will be 50, 50 this year. Interesting fact, you know they they, they seem to be vanning more of them, but Brant is the only bird that I know of that they take the winter count, and that's what they they don't really you know fly north and check them out. They whatever the winter count is, they have their their little formula that if there's X amount of birds and they have halfway decent hatch, that you know there should be this many more birds. So Brant is uh the, whatever the mid winter count is here in the Atlantic Flyway, that's what they set next year's season on. They don't they don't go up and count them and do much much. But studying on the nesting grounds. They do all the studying, you know, banning on, you know, it, they do ban them in Canada. Yes. But um, the, the the season is actually set on the, the midwinter count.
2: And that's, and that's where they're going to the nesting grounds when they're or not the nesting grounds, but the, or they are the nesting grounds in like Jersey and so on and so forth down that way.
3: Yeah. I think more of, you know, when they ban them, I think, I think they're just like, you know, just like a Canada goose. They do, they do have to, you know they're they're molted their their flight feathers so they can just kind of round them up, but um if you you know check out a map and see some of these places where the, the brand on um, the Atlantic brand are nesting, is they're in pretty remote areas. So it's just the uh, the money to to get there and to do that is what I've always been told was was you know part of the factor of of why you know they
2: they use the the midwinter count uh, to set next year's season. That's awesome, and you guys have good numbers of them down in Maryland, right?
3: Yeah, there. I don't think that almost like the old squall. I don't think there's as many. The total number is is what it used to be. Um, specifically, right here in the Ocean City area, on those on those three bird limits, that was we had a sixty day season. There were, I mean, I know people throw numbers around, but I mean, there were thousands of them here. And there's you know there's enough here to shoot, and there's never you know there's not an issue with shooting them. But to my eye, I I don't see as many I don't see as many here as as you know there were you know. 20 years ago for whatever right. reason they're not. you know, If they're kind of maybe hanging out more like North of us, looks like I see a lot of footage from long, long Island these days and in th- those groups and those numbers of birds that they have there, that, that was, that was the way it looked here. So, um, I, I think, I think part of it too, possibly is just like this year. I mean, this winter was super mild. I mean, there were, in, we, in January, we had, there was days that there was highs in 60, uh, excuse me. It was 60 degrees as a high in, in uh, January. So I do think, you know, if it's cold, I always say birds don't have a conscience. So if they can fly 500, 500 miles and they have food and open water all, all winter long, you know why do they need to fly 3,000 miles?
2: Yeah, and <laughs> we saw that also with it being so nice here that a lot of the birds that came down, they just stayed here. They didn't have anywhere. Why else would they go? You know,
0: exactly. uh,
2: Especially with the Brant. We saw the Brant. I mean, the Brant just stuck around here. They had no reason to leave. And you would just watch these flocks and they would just stay here, stay here, stay here. And it was the same with the scoters. Um, off the coast of Rhode Island, was like that. I mean, they'd be rafted up thousands on thousands, and they literally sat there for weeks um, unless they got shot up. And they just yep. literally there was places here. that They never moved. They yep. never migrated. They just stayed here.
3: Yep, there was places in the ocean here that, that there was birds rafted up that I've never seen never seen them rafted up. They're, they're flying through, traveling. You know, the Delaware Bay is to the north of us. The mouth of the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia is to the south, and there there's nice nice bunches traveling back and forth. But um, I've never seen birds actually, you know, like big rafts of birds sitting. And, and this year I saw that too. So um, I did, um, I was just going through a bunch of older pictures. And those, those, the better Brant days that were here. I mean, there's a lot of pictures I have with the, the decoys are all iced up and it, it was, you know, it was flat out cold. And it just, it just, it has not been cold here in Maryland. You know, it just, at least, at least, you know, the lower Eastern shore, it's not been cold. I bet you in a good four, four or five seasons now.
2: And that and that takes a big toll on on these birds. It does. You know they don't need to don't need to move. So I, one of the questions I got for you too also is, you've hunted out of both TDB boats and uh, duck water boats. What are like the pluses and minuses? Because I get that a lot. A lot of guys because I've hunted out of both. But what are what are some of the pros and cons of over each boat?
3: Well, it was so TDB banks and uh, duck water.
2: Oh yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry.
3: Um, you know, it's it's quite often I say it's it's Ford, Dodge, and Chevy. You know, it's just they're duck boats. And what do you like best? Um, got a chance with um, with Migration Nation, um, just north of Boston, with Randy Drago. We shot uh, shot Eider. Uh, I guess it would have been three three Januarys ago
2: now. That was out of the layouts, right?
3: The layouts, and he he also had a duck order that we we did get up on some rocks. And he basically just ran his boat, you know. Pull. I want to say ran his boat into the rocks. I don't mean it, you know, like violent yeah, yeah. like accident. <laughs> but he'd run his run his boat up up into the rocks, leave it in gear so that it's kind of locked into those rocks, and we, we would get out and get up on the rocks. Like I would not want to do that with the TDB or the Banks boat. I would have no issue doing that with the Duckwater boat, though. So it's. I think a lot of it maybe is uh like regionally like how how do you hunt? You know, I know Steve's. I don't. Steve's uh, one of his sayings is you know. Duck water punishes docks and rocks, which, you know, pretty much, again, I I wouldn't want to do that with a glass boat. It doesn't really matter what brand, you know, tell me it's a, you know, a bass boat. I don't, you know, I wouldn't run it up into the rocks like that. So I think that, I think it has a lot, you know, that's probably a, the biggest, the biggest factor or um, that what is the difference between the, you know, the TDB, the banks and the duck water. You know, duck water is aluminum boat and you can, it's, the aluminum is much more forgiving.
2: Absolutely. And then, and like you're saying, the more the region where you're going to end up on and what you're going to use it for. So really kind of do that research as to what you're going to do with it. Right. Exactly. Yes.
3: You know, and then on the East coast here, I mean, really you got to get the long Island it, to me is, is sand, but you know, New York City, Connecticut North, you know, all of a sudden the shoreline does become very rocky. Um, you know, where I'm at would, you know, it's just fl- flat sand. There are the only rocks you see here really, are um or you know man-made jetties you know that kind of thing it's it's you know, eastern shore of Maryland is very flat it's very sandy but again like from you know new york city north it just turns into you know rocks rocks and more rocks as you go north
2: and so i have another question about boats also yes. what made you go with the core sound like what was the the selling point for you on the core sound over any you know the banks or any of the other
3: yeah you know over the years um Mark Rongers was the first layout boat. I had a two man mighty layout. Boys way back in the day, um, I've had a one man. I've had a, I guess I've had all three banks. You know the the one the pumpkin seed, the one man towable and the two man towable, and then um, yeah the other those are probably the only, those are the only brands that I've I've had. Um, getting to hunt with Randy out of out of his Core Sound was a, was a great selling point to me. That it's it's a boat that you physically a two man boat that I even older. I can, I can physically pull it up into my boat. I I can't really, I'm not going to pick it up and, you know, in the yard and and walk around with it, but on the water to get it into the boat, I can pick it up off the water, pull it up into the boat. And it's a boat that's the quality is such that in the, in the yard, in the driveway, I I can actually stand on the thing. And I'm not, I'm not a lightweight guy and I I can stand on it. And it, it doesn't, you know, it's, 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 it's a very well, well well-built boat. And that's, it's that solid. was the two fact, factors. Yeah. It's a solid boat that yet I, I can still, I can still, you know, uh, physically move it. The Banks two man is a great, great boat, but the thing weighs 500 pounds. You have to have a separate trailer to, you know, trailer to the ramp or wherever you're going to launch it from. And so you got at least another vehicle involved and then you, you do have to tow it behind you in the water. You're not, you're not going to pull that thing up on the boat with you. So um, that's, that's, um, that was really my reason of it's going with, with Terry's boat is it's, it's a, it's a very well-built boat that um, yet it's still not, it's not super heavy, you know, 190 pounds, something like that that you can, you can still pick up and pull it up
2: into the boat. So when you're using a layout boat, what what scenario would you use a layout boat over than hunting out of the boat? You know, like what, what makes you decide those factors?
3: Oh, uh, when I, when it's too, like, let's say when it's too rough to be, on the ocean will be in the back bays and generally even if it's windy the back bays are still going to be somewhat flat so it's just more of um on the ocean the birds do not they don't seem to me over the years Mm -hmm. they don't seem to mind a bigger boat when you get on some of these smaller pieces of water that um you know there's not a lot of wave action and it's it's a little on the flatter side to me they tend to stay away even a 21 foot boat they kind of tend to stay away from it so the lab boat just makes, it's a much more effective way, um, to make sure that everybody gets their shooting gets their birds on the days that it, you know, we can't comfortably gun from, from the big boat. Um, I, it's the days that you can, it, to me where we're at the days that I, I can gun in the ocean. I mean, from a layout boat, maybe, maybe one day a week. Um, just because it's, it's always, there's always a wave, you know, there's always a swell, there's always wind. It seems like, um, so the, uh, you know, the back bays and the Chesapeake Bay itself. Those those are the places that that I really like
2: to use the uh, the layup of for sure. And and so when you're when you're picking a spot to go and see duck hunt, like obviously you're going out your pre scout and you're seeing where these birds are rafting up and holding up. But what kind of things are you looking for when you're trying to do this? Are you looking for different like uh, say muscle beds or you know different? What kind of things are you looking for when you're looking for a spot to set up?
3: Yeah. So over the years, I've always like to bin between where they're feeding and where they raft. I, I don't, it's, 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 I can't say that I don't, I wouldn't set up where they're feeding, like on these, on those back bays and stuff. Mm-hmm. They are, they're there all the time. And then, you know, they've been on that piece of water. Um, and, they, and they're, they're feeding, uh, in the ocean. There's, there's really nothing sitting. These birds are traveling. Um, you know, again, uh, early season, most everything is from, from North to South. You know, mid-season is kind of a 50-50 mix, and we get in January, it seems like the majority of the birds are, you know, from the south to the north. But I've always I've always liked to, to gun them more of being in between those two locations, where, where they've roosted overnight and where they're going to go to feed. Um, so that's, it's, it's good to know where they're going to feed, but I, I always like to, that they've been, when I say in between the spots, they've been flying for a little while, and they just seem to be more apt to, to decoy and, and want to take, almost really just take a break from flying. I think when you find when when you find a spot to where they're feeding, you, know, you kind of go in there and you you kind of almost run them off, if you will, in the dark. And yep. then, um, like some sometimes I've had it that everything comes back. Sometimes, like nothing comes back. You know, so it's it's um, I I'd still if I had my brothers I, I'd like to be between you know point A and point B in in between somewhere there versus being on point A or on point B.
2: That's no, that's great information, man, because a lot of people probably do wonder that, you know, like because, you know, sometimes you see him rafted up and you think that maybe that's where you need to be. And there's a lot of newer sea duck hunters, as we talked about, you know, with with there being more people getting into the sport and stuff. So that's that's very good information, honestly. Yeah. Um, So like
3: and like kind of with with Randy, that seemed to be really kind of how he did it. We were we were in between, you know, they were rafted out on the ocean somewhere and we were in between. They were feeding, you know, in behind us. So they were flying up to come feed, and we were kind of in between, you know, where they rafted and where 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 they were going to feed. And the boat ride back, you know, pretty much the ones that went past us, you know, they were up, they were loaded up in there, you know, that kind of thing. And I guess again, I guess it wouldn't be a bad thing to go set up um, where they're feeding. But a lot of times too, um, you kind of run into that they're more populated areas. Um, you know, it depends on different states have different rules and regulations about distances from land and you know, where you can be and where you can't be to set up. So um, again, that, that kind of plays into it again if you're you're in between, in between A and B. Yeah,
2: gotcha. absolutely.
1: Hey, uh, I got a question for like a listener's perspective because a sure. lot of the people that'll be on probably have, don't even know the difference between say sea duck hunting and puddle jumping things of that nature. Uh, particularly, you know, some of our Midwest friends who've reached out and they've been curious about sea duck hunting. If they were to reach out to you coming in unprepared with no clue what they're doing no gear uh kind of walk through that process what you would do with them
3: so let's let's rewind just for a second so the difference between a puddle duck a diving duck and a sea duck so i would say with in diving ducks pretty much everybody knows what a, a canvas back would be redhead bluebill bufflehead, those kind of birds
0: when they dive
3: they just use their legs underwater so when they're they're diving to the bottom, they're using their their legs, their feet to propel them to the bottom. When sea ducks, the difference between a sea duck and a diving duck is when sea ducks go down, they actually use their wings too. So that's that's um, that's kind of when because I'll have people say, well, you know, a buffalo's a sea duck or a golden eyes a sea duck or a mergans are sea ducks. And you know, I guess I guess you can you'll find them there too, but but from a classification standpoint, Sea ducks use their wings and their feet underwater versus just a diving duck just using, using their legs. Um, but back to your question. So if you're, if you're talking about hunting in Maryland, Maryland's very regulated. And if somebody came from Ohio to, to, to sea duck hunt in Maryland, the letter of the law, they they must have a Maryland resident aboard with them. Um, and way back in the day, you had to buy a $5.50 gunning rig license, and there was a minimum boat size, boat length or gunnel height to your, to your gunning rig. And um, a lot of people want to tell me, you know, it's, oh, man, Maryland's to protect guides and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff and with, this, with the sea duck hunting. And I say, no, I, I think it's more of they don't want somebody showing up from Kansas in a canoe and going out there thinking they're going to shoot some scoter from a canoe and it capsizes <laughs> and they, they kill themselves. You know? Exactly. Um, very true. To take advantage of the sea, the special sea duck season in Maryland, you've got to be at least 800 yards from any land. So, again, if you showed up at a canoe to try to do this or a kayak, you know, a kayak's probably a little safer. But you get my point. If you're in a very small boat, you've got to be at least 800 yards from any land to take advantage of the sea duck, the sea duck season. So in Maryland, anybody can come on a Maryland license and hunt the wildlife management areas. But again, letter of the law, you're really supposed to have a Maryland resident with you. Just a board, you know, just and I guess the thought process is that somebody from Maryland maybe knows a little bit better than, you know, they're from here and you wouldn't be from here. So, you know, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm not you know, it doesn't mean Maryland guy can't you can't, you can't get oh, you It trusted. makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, let like as soon as you go south of Maine, Virginia or you go to Delaware, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, and you can anybody can go do anything. But Maryland is it's just just—it's—it's very—it's a very regulated state when it comes to waterfowl, and I think it kind of stems back to you know maybe like the history tradition, you know that was that was here, um, you know at the turn of the century on the Chesapeake Bay for for a, a sink box rig, you know they were you can go see the old receipts where they were paying to get their gunning rig like this gunning license that I talked about, you know they're paying in 1890s they're they're paying two dollars and fifty cents or whatever it was you know, to, to register their sink box, you know, to be able to legally hunt out of it. So um, a lot of it, I think these kind of some of these rules and regulations stem from, you know, many, many years of, of, of the history of, of doing it here in Maryland. Yeah,
1: it's kind of um, tradition, I guess you'd say. Uh, yes. I, I've had the chance. I do a lot of stuff out there on the Eastern shore and up the bay. Um, and I've got the chance to go and meet some of the, uh, the decoy makers, some of the old family decoy makers and mm-hmm. the decoy museum, some of that stuff. And when you go through there, you really get the impression that it is literally a lifestyle that the communities are based around it.
3: And especially, especially back, you know, back in that, you know, turn of the century and like, you know, early 1900s to probably up to the 1960s or so. A um, little, little side note to this, uh, on youtube.com forward slash, you know, Pitballs waterfowl or, or forward slash Jeff Coates. There's a couple of videos ago that um, a good friend of mine Scott Moody filmed it for me. I didn't go up to the museum that night. Um, it was still the season was still open here, um, but I did edit it for them, and it's uh, I guess it's about two hours and ten minutes of uh, Jimmy Carver, Jim Pierce, and they shot they shot it right in the second floor of the Dequindre Museum in Haverty Grace that overlooks the Susquehanna Flats. Yep, and, and Jimmy just he was born in 1935, 34, 35. And um, he just starts talking about his memories of, of a, as a child of of you know not necessarily the gunning but like just the water lifestyle of from fishing and just you know every life in Havity Grace quite often you know revolved for people around the water and um, you know as the seasons changed you know gunning was was a big deal and he talks about sink boxes and and um, Jimmy's he, he's the he's the oldest living Habity Grace or Upper Bay Harbor today.
1: Yeah, I, I had a wonderful well, opportunity to. Uh, sit, to get yeah, I got a good opportunity to sit down and visit with him for a few hours while I was up there. And uh, yep. he, he kind of walked me through it because that was kind of my first feet in the water type situation into that culture. And, yep. you know, going through the historical parts and, you know, him making the jokes about punk guns and, you know, yeah, we used to have this thing longer in the boat. We'd dump it off when the warden came by type. Yep. Uh, just all the little nuances and stuff that you aren't going to get if you go there today, unless you talk to these old timers, it, it was really cool.
3: Yep. Exactly. I, I would strongly suggest that anybody that travels North or South on 95, when you get in, when you cross the Susquehanna, well, if you're coming North to South, you're going to cross the Susquehanna river um, or just before the Susquehanna river. Obviously if you're going North, um, I can't remember the exit number, but it's, it's in Harford County. Have a Grace exits there, and I would strongly suggest you know, go stop by and check out the Decoy Museum, Have Grace Decoy Museum. It's decoymuseum.com, is their webpage. And uh, Christmas Day is the only day that they're closed. So they're, they're open like 11 to 4, 364 days a year. So um, anybody that's traveling through, and it's, it's, it's worth even if you're not into decoys, if you're into waterfowl hunting, it's, it's the history of waterfowl hunting on the upper Chesapeake Bay told through decoys. And um, they do have punt guns there, and battery guns, and a sink box, and bushwhack boats, and and you know tremendous amount of decoys, and it's just it's a lot of history, and it's it's sitting right on the shore of the Susquehanna Flats. You, you know you're look, you're looking right out onto the piece of water where, where it all took place.
1: Oh yeah, the view's incredible. And the other thing that's nice about the museum is you know you say museum, and everyone's mind goes to we're going to walk into this little room with decoys on the wall. No, this is a big building, multi floored building. They they've got literal full boats in there. You can really see every aspect of the culture there. Check it out.
3: It's it's very it's very nice. Unfortunately, with the state of things the way they are, the um the their their decoy festival is always the first full weekend in May. So this year it would be be the second and third, and and um it was an honor for me to be chosen as the honorary chairman for the festival. And uh, you know, it hasn't been officially canceled yet, but I, I think it's not gonna it's not gonna happen this year, I believe. But, but you know, in the years to come, the first weekend in May, it's um it's gotten the show's gotten much smaller over the years. Um, but it's it's a great time to visit Haverde Grace, um, and, and to visit the Dequ, the Dequ- Museum, and the, at the middle school, um, is where the uh, the two plate the two venues where they most of most of the exhibitors are actually in the middle school. But the um the museum itself is open. The Madison Mitchell, our Madison Mitchell is a famous carver <clears throat> through the nineteen hundreds. His his shop is in behind the um the Deco Museum itself, it's open so you can get in there and take a look at that and have all kinds of contests going on and it just usually it's you know it's nice weather the first weekend in May and um it's it's a good time.
1: Definitely. Yeah, if I'm up around the area and uh not engulfed in the turkey woods hopefully it'll be open and we'll swing in
3: 10-4 yeah I don't have very high hopes for it right now but we'll see
1: well at this point I think we're all just crossing our fingers and hoping that this fades away a little quicker than we hope and we can get back to enjoying some of the stuff we do
2: Agreed. (laughs) yeah for sure so so Jeff I got one question for you I mean I mean you're here on the outdoor drive podcast what drives you outdoors
3: <laughs> how do i answer that because first thing i want to say is don't the, answer uh,
1: with a boat <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say that
3: the uh the wants to not have a real job how about that yeah
1: truthfully I, th- you know, I think it's perfect
3: no i mean that's the truth i i have i've done a lot of things as you know worked a lot of different things and younger i went to school i've done all kinds of things and you know i just i enjoy just like sitting here talking with you guys yeah. this morning man i i do i get up every day and believe that even though the duck season's not here that it's it, it is my full-time job although I am thinking about fishing um, but the, you know the sea ducks is my full-time job and, and it's I, I put effort into it you know 365 days a year and um, I just again I, I think I started this started this out with saying that I'm just very fortunate I still believe you know it's just I'm very fortunate to be able to get to do what I want to do
2: and that's that's definitely important, man. And and we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Um, is there anything that you want to leave the guests with as we close up here? Um, I
3: mean, if anybody has any you know thoughts, comments, questions, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I I have guys ask all the time about the equi carving or or um you know uh, want to do their own sea duck hunting or you know with layout boats and big boats and. I guess it just means I'm old these days that you know people reach out to me and, and say this kind of stuff to me <laughs> but um I, you know I I like, to, I like to try to help people and you know I I usually I think I'm pretty good at at answering pretty much everybody that that gets a hold of me um, you know with all the social media outlets today it's sometimes I'm a little slow you know I miss this message or that message here or there um, but if um, I might good go
2: Oh no and you run your own social media.
3: I was just gonna say if you don't mind, it's it's pitbosswaterfowl.com is my webpage. Of course. Um, real quick, if you get on it now, you'll see you'll see something that's 20 years old. <laughs> it is old. Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of plugins don't work right now. So uh, we, we've got a new one. Uh, Scott Moody's just waiting on me to we, it's it's all done. I just need to give it more content to to plug into it. So the new webpage will be up very soon. So pitbosswaterfowl.com. Um, You yeah, I really love Instagram um, at pitbosswaterfowl. P i t b o s s waterfowl, and same thing uh, on Facebook. Jeff Jeff Coats, and then uh, other at Pit Boss Waterfowl on 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 Facebook also. So I I like to. I have a Twitter account. You know, stuff gets on there. I just I don't I just don't really I don't follow on with Twitter much, but but uh, I do love social media. And uh, oh, and also also on YouTube, I try to put up. Actually, for you guys, we got got talking here this morning. I'm sitting here editing a video, so. I try to put up some what I what I think are entertaining videos on YouTube. Some are a little instructional, and a lot of them are just kind of me being a me being who I am. But um, (laughs) uh, I mentioned it before with the Jimmy with the Jim Pierce uh, video. You know, um, YouTube.com forward slash Jeff Coates or you know dot com forward slash Pitbulls found.
2: and they can also find you on the Drake Migration. Also,
3: yeah, unfortunately, Migration Nation is done. Oh. Ten seasons worth and it, it was over. So the uh the PEI trip, that was the last that was the last episode that, that I did I did with them. They're they're talking about doing some different things, more of uh you know, getting away from if you want to call it mainstream TV, um, especially with the in the waterfowl world. You know, maybe modern day TV is a thing of the past, but you know, just more digital content. So um, but yeah, I still have a I still have a great relationship with Drake and Migration Nation. Awesome. And you
2: can find those videos too on your YouTube.
3: Yes, yes, yep and they're yeah, wicked
2: right. awesome you got to go and watch them especially when you went you i was referring back to it before was the boston one when you went up and you shot the eiders and then you went to maine and you went lobster fishing so yeah, that was that was awesome. awesome and what yeah. what you do in those trips man it's, it's yeah, huge
3: like, you yeah, like to have fun uh just um just as a as a example of how people do follow along I had an old old pitbulls hooded sweatshirt on this morning it's like i don't know 545 or whatever. And I'm walking through Walmart, trying to scurry through, get get my stuff and get going. And there's an older fellow riding up cart and he, um, I was grabbing some eggs and he says, Hey, he says, I, I, I follow along with you, man. He says, I really love your YouTube stuff. I was like, Hey man, thank you. I appreciate that. But it was just, it was just funny. Like he saw the back of my sweatshirt and he's like, he says, I've I watched you on YouTube. I was like, all right, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
2: That's awesome. So, uh,
3: That's what it's, it's all about. about. Yeah, it just there's you know, always people always watch it so it's a good thing
1: good deal well greatly greatly appreciate you jumping on here giving us the time uh taking us for a little float around your world yeah, and for sure. uh we'll definitely keep in touch keep things rolling and for all the listeners out there we want to thank you guys for taking this ride right here on the outdoor drive
3: i would give you my crown black salute bud as always speaking to me we are (laughs) Uh,
1: there it is (laughs) all right
3: guys thank you very much